So for the past two weeks, um, by the way, you may have noticed there's this new microphone, and we found it at cleaning day yesterday, along with a trampoline and many other fun things. Um, and uh, we're really excited about this. Um, it, it unfortunately doesn't, um, the speaker doesn't, uh, the cord doesn't, uh, it's not long enough to reach the other sides, which is why we only have the speaker here. But we're gonna work out the sound, and uh, so we're very excited. Anyways, um, so for the past two weeks, we have been um, reflecting on this gospel story of Peter stepping out of the boat. And originally it was only going to be two weeks, but I decided to make three weeks so that we can really suck all of the marrow out of the richness of this passage. Um, because as I've said the past two weeks, I believe that this story is meant to be a guiding narrative for St. Peter's as we step out together in this season. That it's a story that's meant to shape our imaginations and shape the, guide the posture of our hearts as we look to be with Jesus out on the water. So the first week, we focused on the disciples and we talked about how fear and anxiety is the prevailing ethos of our time and how Jesus's message to us here at St. Peter's as well as to our world is take heart it is I do not be afraid and then last week uh, we focused on Peter and what we saw in Peter is that his desire to be with Jesus out on the water was stronger than his desire to be safe inside of the boat and so in this third week um, I wanted to do something a little different, and um, I thought that I might share a testimony of sorts with you. Is that okay? It's a testimony? All right, good. You don't have a choice anyway. So. <laughs> I'm the one with the microphone now. So, so this past summer, um, I was on sabbatical for two months with Jimmy, and um, we ended our time at this Ignatian Retreat Center for an eight-day silent retreat. And it was right on the coast of Massachusetts. The Atlantic Ocean was right there. It was really beautiful, this like beautiful, rocky New England coast. And I was sitting on one of the rocks um, during the week, and I was looking out at just this vast Atlantic Ocean, and you can't see the end of the horizon. And I was thinking about what I was going to be facing as I came back, you know, in September. I was going to be saying goodbye to this church that I had loved for the past 17 years and coming here to St. Peter's with lots of unknowns and sort of challenges and, um, yeah, just lots of challenges to address. And I was feeling scared. So like Peter, I had already stepped out of the boat and started to walk because the decision had been made on both sides. Money was being raised. People had made commitments to come with me here to St. Peter's. And all of the hopes of the bishops, or at least it felt like this, all the hopes of the bishops for the renewal of the Episcopal Church were resting on my shoulders. And you know, I was trying not to feel pressure. You know, even today, I've got this videographer. It's, don't, I, I don't have negative feelings towards you, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, uh, there's all this attention and, and sort of publicity, and I'm not going to lie, I'm not a fan of publicity. I don't like being filmed. I like flying under the radar and just doing my own thing. So I was struggling, and I was thinking about all these things, feeling really inadequate to the task ahead of me, and just wondering about sort of what challenges I might face, would there be conflicts, and so I'm praying and I'm talking to God about all of this, when suddenly I hear this voice. And the voice says to me, who do you think you are? 
think you are? Now, if I were God in that moment, and one of my children, my beloved children, is sitting there pouring her heart out to me about her fears and insecurities, you know what I would say? I would say, there, there, my child. It's gonna be okay. I'm, you know, be, I'm with you, be very comforting, like stroking her hair. But instead, it was, who do you think you are? And the voice was not a mean voice, it wasn't an accusing voice, but it was very clear and it was firm. Like, that's how I know when God is speaking to me, when I hear things that I would never imagine God saying. It was clear and firm. So that day, um, as I was sitting on the rocks, the tide was pretty powerful. So the waves were like crashing against the rocks and like spraying up in the air. And where I was sitting, it was far enough away to be safe, um, but close enough to feel the power of the ocean. And I was noticing that had those waves moved even 20 feet closer, it would have like completely engulfed me and swept me away out to the sea. And the sense that I got in that moment was that the Lord was saying to me, Christine, who do you think you are? What I am doing by my spirit at St. Peter's in this city is so powerful that nothing can stop it. Not you and your perceived inadequacies, not anyone at St. Peter's and what they think should happen or shouldn't happen, not the bishops and all of their plans, not the challenges that might exist before this community. Nothing can stop the work that I am doing because I am God. And can I just tell you, I think for the first time in my life, I'm not joking, I experience what the Bible sometimes calls the fear of the Lord. And it's not fear, like boo, <laughs> it's not like that kind of like scary fear. You know, it's more like awe, you know, awe fear. Like when you are in the presence of something, or in this case, someone with a capital S, infinitely bigger and more powerful than you, you feel a sense of awe and fear. And it reminded me of, um, at the end of the book of Job, if you've ever read it, you remember that book is exploring the problem of human suffering and why do people suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? And if you remember, at the end of that book, after Job and his friends are waxing eloquent about human suffering, it says that the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens my counsel? And then he says to Job, you know, gird up your loins. I'm gonna, I've got some, some stuff I want to say to you. And he starts off by saying, where were you when the foundations of the earth were laid? You know, who determines its measurements? And he goes on and talks about who drew the line between the ocean and the, the land so that the waters would not overwhelm it. He just goes on and on saying all these things that basically only God would know and could do. And it's basically God saying to Job, Job, you don't know squat. You're like this tiny, and I'm infinitely bigger than you. And at the end, after the Lord finishes saying his piece, Job responds back and he says, Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I have uttered that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes see you. And therefore, I repent 
in dust and ashes. And he was saying, I thought you were this, but now I know you are so much bigger than my wildest imagination could have dreamed of. And no purpose of yours can be thwarted that when you decide that something is going to happen, it's going to happen no matter what. And so I kind of was feeling Job in that moment, because that's how I felt, like kind of like, wow, my, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes had seen you. And nothing, honestly, had changed circumstantially. You know, all those challenges still exist, all those you know, sort of uncertainties about the future still exist, but something shifted inside of me in that moment. And it's almost like the fear of the Lord kind of drove out the fear of other things just that little taste of how big and powerful he is. And it reminds me, there's, a, there's another story of the disciples being out in a storm, um, out in their boat, and they're terrified because they think they're gonna die, and Jesus is just like asleep in the boat. And so they wake him up, and they're like, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And then it says that Jesus got up, and he rebuked the wind and the sea, and he said, peace, be still. In some translations, it says, silence, be still. And the storm was stilled. And it says the disciples were terrified and said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And they were more afraid of Jesus you know, than the storm in that moment because they saw his power. And in our story, you know, Peter saw the wind and the waves, and he became frightened, and he started to sink. And he would have sunk unless Jesus had reached out his hand immediately and caught him. You know, no one else could have saved Peter in that moment. Only the one who was more powerful than the wind and the waves could save him. And so at the beginning of our story, the disciples are crying out when they see Jesus, and they're like, it's a ghost. But by the end of the story, they are worshiping him in the boat and saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And my sense for us as a church in this season is that God wants us to come to this place of seeing him, of Jesus, as he truly is. Last week I was saying how I'm kind of, I mean, I want this stained glass window of Jesus to come back, but I'm kind of glad that it's not there. Because what it reminds us is, is that Jesus cannot be locked in a stained glass window in our perceptions of what he's like and how we project our own image onto him. But rather, Jesus wants to know that he walks among us, alive and living and powerful and loving. And he wants us to encounter him in a new and a fresh way. And so I believe that, that God wants us, whatever our ideas were of God or of Jesus, he's saying, St. Peter's, I want you to see me in this season, in who I truly am. Turning your eyes away from your, yourself, from others, from Christine, and turning them once again to Jesus, and to see him and to worship him and to proclaim, truly, Jesus, you are the Son of God. And that's what it means to repent. You know, when we hear the word repentance, it's like this sort of bad word because we associate it with fire and brimstone pe preachers. But really, that word for repentance just means turning around, you know, changing your mind, changing direction. And what that means is if we've been looking at something else, if something else has been filling our vision, the call to repentance is a call to turn and to look at Jesus and say, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. 
So this morning I was um, doing morning prayer in the Book of Common Prayer, and I read um, Psalm 95, and it felt like an invitation from God to us, and I just want to close out uh, with reading it to you. It says, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and raise a loud shout to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the caverns of the earth and the heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. That's why he can walk on it and tell it what to do, to be still. And his hands have molded the dry land. Come, let us bow down and bend the knee and kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. How do we need to repent as a church and individually for looking at everything else, for projecting this image of what we think Jesus is, and instead turn towards Jesus, the Son of God, today? Just one really practical invitation. I said there may be many ways. And allow the Holy Spirit to just speak to you in that as we enter into the Eucharist. But one really practical thing that just came up last week that I want you to think about joining us in is, so we have evening prayer on Wednesday nights at 6.30. And after evening prayer this past week, um, a number of us stayed and we, we talked about what does it mean for us to build spiritual community here at St. Peter's. And we had a really great conversation and time of prayer about that. And um, one idea that came up is, um, what if we fast? You know, fasting is typically what we do in Lent as the season of repentance, but what if we do almost like a little mini fast on October 30th, and then we can break fast at evening prayer that night? And if you've never fasted before, essentially what you're doing is you're saying, you're asking yourself, where have I gotten away from the Lord? You know, what other things have I been looking to to save me? Um, and how can I return to the Lord fully with all my heart? And um, one writer says that fasting is the physical exclamation point at the end of the sentence, this much, oh God, I want you. This much, oh God, I want you. Because of that, I'm going to give up. You know, it's not about just about chocolate, but maybe chocolate is something that you've depended on. Or maybe you turn to some other kind of comfort. Um, but saying, like, I'm going to give this up, even if it's just for a day, so that I can remind myself what it is that I truly desire, which is you. And so what we're thinking is that on October 30th, you know, whatever it is that you want to fast, it could be food, it could be something else, it's just to, to give that up for the day so that we can remember what or who is a church we truly desire with all of our hearts. And then we're going to break fast together that night. So I just invite you to consider that and to think about that. So that's my story, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> that's my story. And um, I hope and pray, you know, I still struggle with fear and insecurity, of course, and that's why I need to continue to repent and to turn around and turn my eyes towards Jesus. And I invite us, this is the invitation to God, in this, to, from God to us in this season. Oh, that today you would listen to his voice and come and sing to him and shout to him, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture. Amen.
Um, I invite you to stand together with me as we affirm our faith. <laughs> 